coming out of the tunnel with a steel chair. It's V'ger, please, a hateful voyage to the Delta Quadrant. My name is Joseph. And I'll be your special 15-second cameo co-host, Peter. <laughs> Peter, what did we watch this week? Season 6, episode... I'm sorry, season sucks. Episode 15. I don't know how to say this word, Joe. What? Sunatsuke. If you say so, man. <laughs> let, let me tell you what I saw here. I saw what on paper a lot of people wanted to be a big fucking deal with a lot of star power and as many disco lights as they could fit into one episode. <laughs> they definitely wanted this to be a big deal. I so I didn't need Memory Alpha to tell you all kinds of interesting backstory about this because I lived it. This was the product of the the most magnificent cross-promotion idea ever conceived of by man when it comes to Star Trek, okay? And uh, there was a lot of press about this episode. It wound up being very widely watched. I did note that it was it had the highest Nielsen rating in the entirety of season six by a wide margin, apparently. Uh, this, as I mentioned before, is the only episode of Voyager that Stevie had ever seen before she started watching occasionally along with me because it was so widely promoted. And the reason for this this episode's existence is the WWE and specifically WWE SmackDown. Do you remember WWE SmackDown and its introduction to the UPN? Well, go- golly gee willikers, the UPN was delighted to get uh, a, a a WWE primetime show. Back that's, in. Uh, that's peak attitude era pro wrestling. Absolutely. It was at its peak. Raw was already a big deal by then. It was really well established and they wanted to expand to Thursday nights and they wanted a a favorable deal on uh, a broadcaster, the non-cable broadcaster that would be able to bring it to everybody. That was why it was another big deal because Raw was on, I think at the time, uh, was on cable. It might have been on TNT. Uh, maybe spike tv by then i don't know but it was on cable this was going to be on on a on over the air tv which was super cool for a lot of folks you know vince mcmahon straight up wanted the biggest show on upn to carry water as a promo he wanted he wanted star trek to cut a promo for for the wwe that's what this was this was all vince mcmahon's idea not that like the specific plot or anything like that, because I don't think he fucking knows anything about Star Trek. But he he definitely was like, get put cross promote this with your best show. Is this, this this Trek stuff? Whatever, just do it. Right, the blonde. Yeah, I want her in it. <laughs> so you know whatever whatever Papa Vince wanted, Rick Berman was absolutely prepared to provide, and so they came up with this, which is there is space WWE and Voyager gets involved in shenanigans and they, they spent money, not just on production, not just bringing in some ringers when it comes to the guest stars. Also the biggest star that Trek ever had the man himself, Dwayne, the rock Johnson. This was first aired the 9th of February, 2000. Today is February 18th. So, I mean, we're 21 years ago on the button and my, how, how far everything has come along. (laughs) I I, I will say the rock has aged gracefully. (laughs) You know, I was going to save this conversation for when he actually comes out. They've got some shit glued to his face. Mm -hmm. Even with the shit glued to his face in his I don't know what that is, a latex leotard they have him in or whatever. <laughs> right. Fighting in his goofy laser tag arena. The Rock of 2000 looks less alien than The Rock of 2021. Have you looked at him recently? <laughs> He's definitely. Uh, I don't he, know. Is this, he is bigger than a house. He's completely hairless and this dude has muscles on muscles on muscles he has he's, grown he's his the body picture of H- hgh kind of muck <laughs> it, he it, he looks like an alien 
he does not look like he would any longer be classified as a human being. And I'm not saying that to shit on him. I'm just saying that the, the level he has gotten his body to is fucking unreal. So seeing him back then with like a whoopee cushion spirit gum to his face, he looks more average and normal and human than he does in his current iteration. It's crazy. So this was everywhere, man. Like you couldn't look at a magazine stand and not see this being promoted. Um, they spent quite a, a bit of dollar to get this out there at the time. Um, this uh, was something I actually even saw Jerry Ryan talk about on a number of occasions at convention appearances, you know, like the rock famously, like, you know, they chatted about their kids while they're between scenes. And then she, Jerry Ryan goes back to a trailer and there's like a signed picture from the rock there. And she's like, why did this man do this? I don't understand why he's a big deal. <laughs> like Jerry Ryan was oblivious to like who he was as a cultural figure. The peak enjoyment for me, though, was Jeffrey Combs and J.G. Hertzler being in this episode. I know yeah. you don't you don't you don't know who they are because they were not TNG people, but they were critical DS9 people. They were they played two of the more important recurring characters on DS9, uh, Wayun and General Martok, and they carried so much of the dramatic weight of that show. Jeffrey Combs has been in all kinds of movies. He's reanimator, uh, I think probably most famously. To me, anyways. Um, yeah, to most I think to most nerds. And uh, if you want a taste of how good DS9 is. It's those two being in this thing. They're so much better than the actors that are normally on this show. <laughs> you know, like they embarrassed the main cast <laughs> and they were, they weren't even main cast on their show. The best part about this episode to me uh, is it is the quintessential bait and switch. Like what was the movie uh, executive decision where you're like, Oh, this is going to be a Steven Seagal movie. Yes. Where he's be and like, he gets sucked out of the airlock and thrown off of Air Force One at like the the 12 minute mark. And then he's not in it for the rest for something that is even I knew this is the rock episode. He's in it for maybe 40 seconds, if that. Yeah, In the middle of the episode, he's not even in the climax. Yeah, which was the real impressive part of that all to me. He shows up. He does not lose, which I'm sure was yes. a big deal on the contract. Was that uh, Chuck Norris had the I can't lose? Was it Chuck Norris? Cannot lose in a in a movie that I appear in? I think it was Chuck Norris. I'm sure some Hollywood egos have had that, that clause. Chuck Norris, if not Chuck Norris, someone has. For being the big deal that a lot of people wanted it to be, this is a turd. <laughs> oh, come on, man. Really? Don't, don't you even tell me that you enjoyed I enjoyed this. I'm sorry. Don't you even tell me you thought this was good. I enjoyed this. I'll leave, I'll leave it there. Is it good? I mean, from a, a serious storytelling perspective, absolutely not. Is it enjoyable to watch unironically? Yes. <laughs> Come on, man. So much of this episode can be summed up in what they wanted to be the big fancy set piece. So I did my freeze frame game where... You know, I hit play and then I immediately hit pause. And you've got this close up of what looks like a uh, circus tent. It just comes off looking like low budget trash right off the jump. They pull down and you get a a slow 360 shot of the arena where these fights are going down. And there's people in the audiences. And it looks like this arena can hold realistically about 60 to 80 people, which is absurd in its own but as you get more and more of what this arena looks like, you've been to state carnivals before, right? Absolutely. As best I can tell, this arena is just the UFO ride from the carnival. <laughs> yeah, kind of like expanded a little bit. Yeah, it just looks like a, a UFO doors. <laughs> the, the thing that just spins around and everybody's laying in the bed and they shoot up and the door you walk in, the top part opens and then the bottom part falls and that's the grand entrance for the fighters we get treated to. Uh, so right out of the bat, we've got the first contestant coming out who I will call scrotum neck. <laughs> and he's, uh, he's fighting up against uh, a Herogen who we will get to know uh, more through the course of the episode. Uh, definitely the first time we've seen one of them in a while. I think definitely the first time since they were Nazis, I think 
in season yeah. four. When the species 8472 made its second to last appearance. That was before the Nazi episodes. Because was that was it? one of the that was one of the many times they kicked them in the dick and then we're like, oh yes, you deserve to be turned into you know, meat puppets on the holodeck. You did antagonize right. them for several episodes. I'm not going to lie. I thought it was badass that they had the Herogen in there. Um, you know, you've got some continuity flaws. Like this is the world's shortest Herogen ever. Cause the Herogen are supposed to be like, yeah, we were talking about the little assholes from um, virtuoso being one of the rare occasions that we've strayed from the standard human male five, 10 ish in height to like, you know, the Herogen were big dudes. They were like six plus. They had like crazy tiny, I think was one guy's name. Crazy yeah, tall actor. It was JG who was playing the Herogen. And I guess because they had him in enough makeup as it is, you know, they didn't want to dis- distract anymore from his performance. That in this episode required a lot of stunt work. And shout out to the stunt performer specifically for Seven of Nine, who I actually looked her up lady by the name of Dana. He who's a, had got the, one of the first gold medals in Taekwondo when that became a Olympic sport in 1988. Like you're wondering where all those high kicks were coming from. Well, she was apparently a gold medalist in high kicks. A lot of wushu Kung Fu. That's, that's what I called. This guy was a wushu Hirogen because whoever his stunt, and I'm guessing that's part of why they didn't get a, a big, tall, crazy, big Hirogen main actor was because the stunt guy was going to have to be doing uh some Power Ranger flip kicks off the wall and whatnot. The guy who played uh, the Herogen stunt double is named Gary Ray Stearns, who uh, a long-term stunt double, he was Yoshimitsu in the Tekken film. It's like an actual acting role. Um, but he did Kill Bill in Pirates of the Caribbean. He actually did uh, Mortal Com- one of the Mortal Kombat movies. Like, yeah, he's he's got quite a, a long list here of... of uh, of big things that he's done. I think the only way they could have made this episode more of a nineties time capsule would have been to have one of the, one of the stunt Kung Fu fighters be Ray Parks. (laughs) Shit. They might as well just throw Darth Maul in there. That's, (laughs) that's one of the big misses for me is this is one of these episodes where you see a cross section of the Delta quadrant and there's all of these different alien races observing. And like, I, I wanted to see more dudes. I recognize like it, it's, it was, a, and I know they're far away from everything else, but if you got a Herogen hanging out this far out, like you could have gotten some. Herogen makes sense though. Cause they wander, right? Like that's their whole MO is they're out there hunting. And that's kind of why their species is dying off. Cause they're not concentrated. That was their whole plot point from the, the Nazi episodes. Yeah. So that one makes sense. It might not have made sense for other aliens here. Um, but yeah, I think they, they purposely just ditched the tide angle because they were going to have some Kung Fu, literal Kung Fu fighting here. And they could not afford to have one of them who did platform boots doing that. So they're like, nah, fuck it. <laughs> you know, like we want good action. It's, this is probably the most kinetic Berman era Trek ever gets in its actual physical fight scenes, right? Well, like, that's what happens when you let uh, Vince McMahon in the, in the writer's room. they're panning around they're showing you all these different uh aliens observing and uh joe did you know that the maquis fucking love blood sport apparently (laughs) like you uh you definitely see the obvious pan up to uh uh, balana and chakotay and taking in the space wwe and being like yes violence but there are other like dudes in starfleet uniforms around in the round as they pan around and you know like i don't know canonically if any of them were starfleet or if any of them were specifically maquis but like they're chakotay and balana are not the only ones enjoying this by enjoying it's like standing up with their fist raised like screaming um you're gonna see a lot of stuff in this episode that does not add up to other uh informational points that we have been given about life in the post-scarcity federation uh, and the outlook on uh, violence so a lot of liberties with were taken with character portrayal in this oh they forced this one down everyone's gullets like we have to do (laughs) we have to do we have to do space wwe everyone's just gonna have to accept it (laughs) yeah um so 
they're on uh, shore leave, right? And and shore leave exists solely for the purpose of endangering everybody's life and the crew and is always a terrible idea. And along that line, Janeway has decided that she does not want to be around for any of it. And she's going to fly over to the next solar system to, I don't know, look at rainbows or something. Yeah, they're, they don't spend any time telling you about this Nordica Prime aside from characters relating their experiences there i don't recall like explicitly a nordican being like like this is a nordican you know like identification they do identify what a pendari is which is the system that chainway's going to and that is what the rock is playing (laughs) oh is it yeah he's supposed to be a pendari the conceit of this episode is chainway's going to go off on a little vacay during the vacay and technically Chakotay's in charge, but Chakotay is super into watching alien blood sports with his, you know, former terrorist colleague slash would-be side piece, Spallana. I will say that this episode, for being a a very shallow promo piece, does actually do a fair job um, using pre-established character traits chakotay in specific the boxing thing oh yeah they bring back the boxing thing from what was otherwise a terrible episode where he has like boxing dream fights with like kid chaos yeah like uh, aliens from another dimension um aka the the last time we have big booth be forced on us who was a character i thought i'd never wish to not see again but uh lo and behold voyager was able to accomplish that feat um, I was excited for a second. I thought uh, with the captain going off to a distant system, does Voyager have a captain's yacht? No, uh, I guess you would call the Delta Flyer the closest thing, which is what she takes. Uh, according to the, I'm, I'm like physically showing this to, to Peter. I've got the Eagle Moss. Well, I'm uh, going to get my Voyager Eagle Moss. Yeah, <laughs> like was we're doing, we're, do, we're, we're currently looking at each other over a webcam. There is a, spot at the bottom of voyager saucer section it's it's visible in pretty much every effect shot that shows the bottom it's of an arrow a, flyer the arrow shuttle arrow it, it it which is i guess what you would call the closest equivalent of a captain's yacht on a intrepid class ship it was it was designed and put into the design of the ship and then never used for some reason uh, the captain's yacht, I think, was something that was invented specifically for like sovereign class starships in canon. No, the, there was a captain's yacht on the galaxy class. What was was it like in the technical specs, but just not something that was ever on screen? It was never on screen, but I mean, it appeared in all the the um, the schematics and stuff, the side views, and it was uh, outlined in the Burgundy technical manual. Oh, uh, OK. No, I, I buy that. Absolutely. I just don't think we've ever seen one on screen until Insurrection. So she's taken off. Chakotay is abusing his authority. Uh, (laughs) Neelix is uh, on a quest to level up his trash can fire. This was the most bizarre fucking piece of dialogue. Janeway telling Chakotay, hey, look out. Um, Snarf Snarf is wanting to increase the efficiency of his his trash hobo trash can fires and he's using Borg technology. Yeah. Like, okay, listen, listen, Kathy, can we have a fucking talk here for a second? All right, let's sit down. Let's have, let's, let's keep it 100. This motherfucker nearly killed us by trying to make cheese. Okay. <laughs> Are you, you serious? Want Borg cheese. <laughs> this, if you want Borg, you want assimilation cheese. This is how you get assimilation cheese. Like, the, of all of the people on Voyage, I would trust Naomi Wildman with Borg nanoprobes before I would trust them the fucking Neelix. Like, straight up. Not even hard. Just like, here, child, I assume you will be more responsible with these. What's that, uh, what's that cheese with the pickle in it? <laughs> what, what do you call that? Um... Uh... I, there's I like don't know. cheese slices that have like uh there's pimento. a lot of nasty cheeses in the world peter you have to be more specific all right well just listen man like take a piece of swiss cheese right and then in all the places where there's holes shove laser pointers and like <laughs> glass <laughs> glass holograms and 
dildo fingers, all right, <laughs> and tubes, and that's what you're going to end up with with this. Like, how hot does his fire need to be? You got plasma fire. Plasma fire is enough to kill crewman Jonas. Instantly, <laughs> instantly consign him to hell. So I don't know what Neelix thinks he needs, but it is you don't need the Borg stuff in there. We'll later see Neelix in the mess hall uh, cooking a vat of what looks like snot. It's in fact Leola root uh, aloe, which she is going to use to treat a sunburn he got on his little slice of uh shore leave and it's like he's two-faced right he fell asleep in the sun and this happened to plenty of my friends in college right drunk Mm -hmm. out playing frisbee falling asleep in the sun and then you got two face one face is them and the other face is terribly burned now i don't know what beef he has with the doctor that he's not willing to get these you know light sunburns treated when we see much worse things cured with the strobing light of the doctor's flashlight. But uh, he's going to go with his own homeopathic remedy of trash on his face than, than a trip to sickbay. It's very Neelix, though. Like, Neelix is the kind of guy who'd be like, oh, no, I don't need to, like, bother the doctor with this. I have a, I have this trash remedy where I will put a bunch of snot on my face and I'll feel fine. Like, that that actually tracks with Neelix's personality. Um, and to they... be fair, it was displayed in... Um... What was the Malon or Malorn? Is it Malorn or Malon? I don't even know at this point. You know what? It, it's Captain Planet villains. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's what they are. Um, he had a, a homebrew stew that was supposed to fight radiation, or so he thought. Remember? Oh yeah, this is all so that Seven of Nine can pop into scene with Tuvok to say, "We think you're having fun is stupid because." We are cooler than both everyone here. So Tuvok and I are going to are going to go hang out by ourselves in the shuttlecraft and look at a collapsing micro nebula because we're just too nerdy for y'all. And Raise your hand if the first thing that crossed your mind was they want to go fucking private. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this uh, granted, right? You know, I would love it if they like in canon, this was actually cover for their steamy love affair that secretly seven of nine and Tuvok have been banging it out for forever. And uh, they're just super good at hiding it because they're both very reserved. Uh, But this goes back to uh, us talking about Year of Hell. If you remember Year of Hell, we're talking about like, oh, they had this bro relationship that developed off off camera during the year. And it, it made so much sense to us that those two would connect. Yes. Um, And you know, like it's it shades of that. Like I'm actually down for more seven of nine Tuvok interactions now, especially because and you just, maybe I'm going to the end a little bit. I feel like if this is a good seven of nine episode for like, they're starting to really like connect with where her character is with the writing effectively. She was good in limited quantities in Memorial, you know, when, when she was there having the conversation with Neelix, this is obviously a much more seven of nine focused episode, but it, doesn't retread the same ground like our complaint was too much retread too much doing the same shit over and over again same story much yeah i want she wants to be a real girl now she is and she's dealing with the complexity of her emotions and what that means to her as a person she's a person now and and there's other growing pain she's going through and we're actually getting that i thought that was was well done here so in um year of hell their relationship, their friendship between Seven of Nine and Tuvok grew. A big part of it was Seven's guilt for uh, subjecting Tuvok to an explosion that took his eyesight, right? So it was her fuck up and Tuvok's injury that in reliance on her because she became his, uh, basically his servant to kind of get him through. His seeing eye Borg. Yeah, right. So that was a real strong foundation for that. And if they were to continue their their new friendship opportunities here, I like the fact it kind of turns that situation around where there's still an injury that involves Tuvok. But this time it was uh, seven of nine going out of her way to save his life and, and play a hero instead of being impetuous and causing the injury that leads to a connection. But I'm sure they won't capitalize on it. 
<laughs> that was neat. I'm sure it will go nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> Put it right up there with the Klingassians, man. Seven starts packing for the trip. Uh, and we get the scene with uh, Tom Paris where he's like, oh, you're such a girl. You just pack every stupid thing. And my girlfriend's a stupid girl, too. And she packs all this crap up. And then, like, we get some real classic shitbag Tom, the worst boyfriend ever, where he's like, yeah, my tough ass uh, hot rod terrorist girlfriend. She totally has a fucking stuffed animal. She schleps around. Everywhere. She'd be so mad if I told you about Toby the 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 plushie yeah yeah (laughs) stevie was watching this episode with me and straight up said in that moment you know is tom here just to try and score a threesome with seven of nine like why the fuck else is this scene in here (laughs) this is like some real awkward shit i couldn't agree more it was a scene that had no purpose whatsoever no but now that you've mentioned uh tom balana seven three-way um i've got some googling to do after this episode listen there's no fucking like hate fucking that's that's the energy I would get from that 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 triangle, you know. Mm-hmm. Tom's like, I want to be the weakest person in this three way. I would if Tom likes to be pushed around. Those mm-hmm. would be the two broads to to enable that particular fantasy. Actually, that would be uh, Neelix in his masochistic fantasy. I'm sure. Let's not forget when Neelix offered for Bellana to choke and spit on him. <laughs> I mean, you know, that choke me daddy Neelix uh, simulation that Tuvok has is is not born entirely of fantasy. The bottom line here is that Seven and Tuvok are going into their shuttlecraft. They're enjoying hours of silence. The doing, doing, <laughs> they're doing their nerd shit. Uh, and then the most predictable thing happens, which is an imposing ship approaches. Uh, it beams a... Uh, thing that is so obviously a bomb that somehow Tuvok still needed to scan it and say, yep, that's sure a bomb to identify that it is in fact a bomb. He then touches the bomb and the bomb goes <laughs> off <laughs> and incapacitates both of them. And the point here being is now seven of nine and Tuvok have been captured by literal space Vince McMahon. I don't recall this character getting a name. I think I looked it up here. It's Pink. Uh, yeah. it's it, it 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 doesn't matter what this character's name is. It's Jeffrey Combs, so it's great because Jeffrey Combs is great at playing a skeevy asshole. He plays the premium skeevy asshole of DS Nine and Wayun. This is Space Vince Vince McMahon. I just want to point out that in this episode, that's supposed to hype the WWE connection to the UPN. The Space Vince McMahon is a enslaving supervillain. I <laughs> <laughs> like. So on brand. <laughs> who is never ultimately held accountable. Yeah. Who just dodges all consequences at the end of the episode. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, uh, the, the setup on this. <laughs> okay. So you've got Voyager, which inevitably every uh, shore leave shit goes down and it's bad. Right. Of I want to say the last shore leave episode, we had uh, a Borg quartet tried to, take the ship over right correct um you got the captain in another solar system then you have the two smartest people on your ship flying off on a death cart with their asses hanging out while uh your maquis terrorist acting captain decides he wants to go watch blood sport more than do work like what what a terrible (laughs) It, it it was kind of interesting that he stuck Bolana with a command shift. The memory alpha actually points out this is probably the only really interesting piece of information. This is the only time we see Bolana in command of Voyager ever on the show. She is never in command of on screen. She's technically in command during the 37s, apparently at some point. I don't recall, but she is actually in the captain's chair for the first and only time in this episode think about how much of tng was troy coming to terms with the obligations and of uh of can't command and whether she could raise to what was required of command candidates right i would have loved to see balana go through the same thing like her anger getting the better of her when she did have opportunities to flex on alien problems and stuff like that and having to learn i see what you're saying but for it was interesting for troy because First of all, Troy was much high, more highly ranked than Bolana. Bolana is technically lieutenant junior grade, 
and is rarely ever going to be in a position where she would be in command. It's why it's like a, a, so uncommon to, to see this happening here. Troy was a lieutenant commander and constantly on the bridge. I think more importantly, like more in the proximity of power than Bolana generally is. And, you know, she was stuck in this situation where, you know, she had to be in command. She was didn't feel prepared for it. So she wanted to become better prepared for it. And, you know, a good Troy episode came of that as a con as a consequence. And I agree with you there, but I don't Bolana. I just don't think she would sweat that shit the same way. Right. She doesn't want to be in command. You know, she's like, no, this isn't I'm, I'm a hot rod mechanic. That's a terrorist. I'm, I'm not built to be captain of a fucking starship. I know this about myself, but she's kind of self-aware of that. Where Troy's like, I have to prove that I am capable of doing this because I'm so often involved in command decisions as the count as the counselor and, you know, space psychic. It would like I, I find the idea of Tom in that position more interesting, quite frankly as someone who's perhaps has more proximity to that responsibility. I definitely more, he's technically uh fourth in command behind Tuvok that he has this checkered past with being in, in Starfleet and his dad's an admiral. Like there's more meat on the bone for Tom to go through that story arc than I think Bolana. I don't know, man. We sit here talking about it. I think uh, these are all stories I would have enjoyed. Like they've given Harry a taste of command with, um, warhead right and yeah there's been plenty of tuvok and plenty of chakotay in charge but tom um balana yeah i mean even they they had the emh in there a little bit there's all these good stories they could have told with voyager and instead we get this shit in season six uh in its place it's it's squandered opportunity i don't know if you've ever heard me say that about voyager before maybe a hundred times <laughs> maybe we count them up it might be honored now (laughs) maybe the thesis of our podcast so anyways tuvok gets blowed up he do they're captured by space vincent man the makeup on tuvok his wounds i don't know what that grenade that they teleported uh aboard the shuttle was supposed to do like maybe they'd be like well we're gonna make this thing as obvious of a grenade as possible so people stay the fuck away from him and him like getting on top of it is what ends up getting his face half blown off and his uniform all ripped up but i thought the makeup on him looked pretty good it did um the space instinct man says hey borg drone lady i want you to fight in my space wwe uh if you don't i won't treat your friend for his injuries and he'll die I'll give you this non-fatal match to start out on. You go out there, you do the fight. I'll treat your friend. Meanwhile, on Voyager, uh, Chakotay's trying to get Neelix to go uh, to one of the blood sports with them. And then Neelix is telling the doctor, the doctor's trying to get, uh, doctor's trying to get everybody. The doctor's real desperate this episode for someone to go to the goddamn museum with him. He wants seven and nine, seven and nine doesn't want to go. He wants Neelix. Neelix is like, hmm, Go it's to a good... museum and look at bugs or go see a uh, blood sport. Uh, <laughs> like he just teases the doctor with it. I, I'm like, gee, what would new Jack Neelix do? Oh, it like, was a great comedy like transition there where he literally says, what a tough decision. And then they cut to the blood sports. And he's like, kill him! <laughs> like it was, it was actually a well done transition. I do think we do get some new Jack Neelix later on in this episode though. Yeah. Uh, the doctor drops this great line about how, uh, you know, of course, Chakotay's trying to get him into it. Chakotay's an aficionado of boxing, the most barbaric sport in Earth's history. And I'm like, hmm, doctor must not be familiar with the uh, barbed wire backyard wrestling matches. (laughs) He must not be familiar with gladiatorial combat in ancient Rome. (laughs) My cousin was actually in a backyard wrestling VHS tape you could buy off of infomercials. (laughs) he was in the clip i'm watching this thing it's late it's college and i see this guy uh getting fluorescent light bulb tubes broken over his head and i'm like what a dumbass and i was like that looks like my cousin (laughs) fuck that's my cousin so i bought it (laughs) i was just 
I was just looking for my old uh, Xbox 360 games in my closet, and I found my stash of VHS tapes I haven't had the heart to throw away. And, and there it is, Backyard Wrestling, Volume 3. It's my cousin in light bulbs. That's that's the kind of revelation that can only come when you live in the Midwest. Like, yes. <laughs> you only have a cousin who is in a backyard wrestling tape that you buy off an infomercial if you live in the American Midwest. That is that is that is ours culturally. <laughs> like we might share it with Kentucky and, and you know, some parts of Michigan, but that's that's very us. Um yeah, and they, they really play up how into violence Starfleet is, which goes against everything else we've seen. Um, the big disconnect for me in this episode, because it gets talked about immediately, like when Space McMahon starts talking to Seven to Nine, he starts throwing around red matches, which are literal death matches. One contestant must die. And I have to think that those draw big crowds and that they would be discussed like no one's going to talk to an alien who comes to planet earth about football without mentioning playoffs or the super bowl right right so to bring up like hey here's i'm not going to tell you about the video game mortal Kombat and not talk about fatalities where you're ripping someone's brain and spine out, right? So when they're telling yeah. Chicote, who knows every other goddamn thing about this sport, this this sport. He's, an, he's, he an, in, he's an instant fan. Like he studied it all. Somehow he knows he the rules. That and billions everything. of people are watching literal death matches and you just didn't know that part. That's a little much. So they should if yeah. they and if they had, had some dialogue where they're like you know, like these are exclusive for our high, you know, high rollers, you know, and they pay a premium to watch actual death matches. Those are called like, PPVs, pay-per-views. Yeah, yes. <laughs> yeah. Like some dialogue to basically, I mean, you just said it, right? Like th this, this one you're going to do here is our, is the SmackDown, but later on, you're going to do a pay, you're going to do a pay-per-view for the, for the belt, you know, these like, are the clips. These are the clips for sale fetish matches that you have to contact <laughs> us directly about. And they're very hush hush. I don't know if you ever saw the film eight millimeter, but think that. <laughs> so Chakotay not knowing about the fucking death matches where he's balls deep in this sport uh, seems really silly. Or maybe he did know and he was just like trying to sweep it under the carpet like he tried to sweep Suter under the carpet. What doesn't get swept under the carpet is the arrival of you know the, the match where they're at the the blood sport arena the rock comes out in his glory you know with he this gives great value and and for those of you who don't live in the united states great value is walmart's in-store brand it's fucking terrible so he comes out to some great value rock intro music it does it is definitely a here is your wwe walk-in music he gives the people's eyebrow as is as as foretold in the prophecies Right. All of that makeup can't hide that man's charisma. And then behind from behind him comes seven of nine. And then all the Starfleet people are like, oh, this is probably not OK. <laughs> like They're like, uh, our co-worker is down there and uh, this is weird. They try to call out to her. She can't hear. And that's when they start to piece together that this is uh, being uh, beamed in from an extra location. We already know that because they got kidnapped off from the ship. Now, uh, I know what you're thinking. It's this big wrestling match. How is seven of nine down in the ring going to hear three people yelling seven up in the stands? Right. But remember, this is this is the UFO ride from State Fair. The they literally only have to be louder than 64 other people. <laughs> <laughs> this is it is so unimpressive. Like, I wonder if Vince McMahon saw this and was fucking pissed. Like, I wanted this electrifying fucking moment. And they've got the rock walk out of a cardboard hole in the wall with like this, the synthesizer do, 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 do song. Not even, they didn't even afford him like smoke. He couldn't even walk through smoke <laughs> and lasers. He just walks out of a hole and pops a people's eyebrow. I don't know if maybe they used the wrong footage and this was like a dry run rehearsal without special effects, but um, real limp. And, for this being The Rock's only involvement in the entire episode, it is a super head scratcher. 
I, w- I do like that they, you know, try to synthesize some WWE smack talk into the dialogue between him and Seven of Nine. There's a charm to them trying to make that work in universe. Like you're as small as a Decalion field mouse or something like that. And we've already given credit, but let's mention it again. Stunt work here was great. Very kinetic. Uh, unfortunately, for production purposes, uh, Dana, he does not look very much like Jerry Ryan. <laughs> um, she, Dana, he is a professional martial artist. So she is like absolutely like built, right? Like she is tightly muscled. So like they cut to her like doing like fucking high kicks and all her Taekwondo shit. And it just looks like a different person. She's blonde, you know, got a blonde wig on and is a woman. Uh, but aside from that, is clearly not Jerry Ryan, who is softer by nature than someone who is a professional martial artist in in a uniform that leaves nothing to chance. Right. Like a lot of a lot of uh, arm exposed, you know, muscle definition, all that. Like, you know, it's a, uh, it's the stunt double when they cut back a little bit. They bring the camera back and all of a sudden there's a very differently built woman doing like spins and all kinds of like very gymnastic-y things so like a good borg seven of nine is able to assimilate a rock bottom on her candy ass yes <laughs> just served up with just mm-hmm. right right there um she loses uh chakotay calls the ship you know you see a lot of star trek all this fantastic technology, it's easy to take it for granted, right? The only way to to fight off the space bad guys with your space lasers and the only way to, you know, get to the next solar system is with faster than light warp speed. It's it's all stuff. It's fantastic technology with fantastic applications. But every now and then Star Trek will do something with its fantastic technology that really resonates. And I'm like, oh, my God, how fucking cool. When Chakotay is like, Fuck this shit. I'm not sitting in this parking lot for two hours after this concert. Voyager three to beam out. And he cheats the process of trying to get out of a major sporting event with instant teleportation. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, it's a life hack, man. Some of the worst memories I've had in my life was trying to get out of a parking garage after a major sporting event. If that doesn't put the, the utopia of the Federation in perspective, I don't know what can. They regroup after, uh, watching all this back on Voyager and they figure out, okay, so what's happening? It's being broadcast to all of the planets in this sector. Um, It's definitely coming from a remote location. They don't know where Uh, they're going to try diplomatic channels because obviously seven is there and they're like, well, seven's there. Then probably two Vox in trouble too, which means they probably got like Shanghai while they were uh, uh, out looking at that nebula and they're going to, you know, Neelix is going to go off and do his diplomat thing and, and they're going to try Which and figure cool. out what's going on. Yeah. And there's actually a really cool scene when he comes back from his diplomatic efforts and we get a little, little new Jack Neelix taste where he's like describing like the, the show that the planet's diplomats put on with him of like, we're so offended. We can't believe this is happening. We'll investigate immediately. And he's like, uh, were you convinced? He's like, fuck no. <laughs> <laughs> light out their ass they make way too much money doing this like this is a huge business for them everyone loves this stuff and no one wants to talk about the dirty that comes with making it which again i can't believe this is an episode supposed to promote the wwe right i don't know if if you're listening to this podcast and you're not familiar with the shady practices of the wwe through the years i invite you to google for them for yourself suffice it to say vince mcmahon is not what you would call uh, an altruist, an altruistic figure. He is, um, shall we say, uh, shady at a minimum. And uh, so this, this episode is essentially saying that his business model is criminal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, um, but okay. So uh, the Herogen, seven and nine wakes up after the rock knocked her the fuck out. No, and he's hit. I mean, let's rock bottom on her candy ass like we cannot escape how perfect a marketing moment that truly was yeah yeah so he's healing her up and we find out he's already treated tuvok and the rojan is real friendly with seven 
He sees potential. He believes he sees a killer instinct in her and he wants to nurture it. Uh, he knows uh, we get space Vince McMahon, Jeffrey Combs pop in and say, oh, you know, we got really great ratings off of this. So for whatever reason, I'm going to throw you to the wolves in this next match. Why keep you around and milk you for money when we can put you in a fucking death match? Um, and the Herodian says, I know who your opponent's going to be. I'm going to help you train. Uh, we get a little bit of background on him that he was out with his son on his first hunt when Space McMahon captured him. And I have to believe they don't really, it's one of the things they don't address, but I, I don't think you have to go far to draw the conclusion that all of the, and we'll call them gladiators in this, uh, this MMA production are slaves, right? They're all probably there against their will, which is yet another plot hole that we're going to lay on Voyager's feet here that they don't really help anybody else and that there's innocent slaves dying to this blood sport but yeah just at the end of this episode they just leave they get their dudes back and they're like none of this rest of this is our fucking problem and bounce um now they probably didn't have any choice but to do that from the set like from what they set up but there is no acknowledgement that that's what they did yeah we'll, we'll, we'll get to that at the end but so uh, the Herodian. Like you said, he's kind of like a veteran. I mean, he's, he's 19 by, years. He's he's played by, you know, gravelly voice JG, who is an expert at acting through extremely big makeup and does a fantastic job of emoting through it. Um, You know, just you just kind of know what's going on with this guy just from the from the non verbals, which is impressive when you think when you consider the layers that he has to get through to do that. And uh, there's a lot of fight practicing. Uh, again, more stunt work in this as well. And he gets a good punch in the kidney, which was a good laugh. As a lot of uh, the Herogen, who's never is named, not once in this episode, uh, and uh, trying to get Seven of Nine to embrace her killer instinct, uh, which she is resistant to do because she, as we just talked about last week, feels tremendous regret about her killer instinct that it has brought suffering and pain and torment as a consequence of her actions as part of the collective. And so this is not something she's comfortable with, but she wants to defend Tuvok's life and Tuvok actually like straight up encourages her too, like you said, yeah. which I thought was an interesting note where she's like, you know, I, I don't want to kill. It's like for someone's entertainment, it's like, would you prefer to die for someone's entertainment? I mean, and if those are your options, there's only one logical one. This is the other big thing that doesn't add up for me. Starfleet is so pro death across the board. Like you got Starfleet members watching this blood sport getting into it. Uh, I don't know if we already skimmed over where uh, Tom starts uh, trying to instigate a fight between Chakotay and, and Harry Kim. Yes, he tries um, to get them to have like a holographic boxing, boxing match or something. You've got... Uh, Tuvok here where any other time there's a situation where Starfleet is put in a kill or be killed uh, conundrum it's always well I refuse to participate and I'm not going to take another person's life which again keep in mind everybody here seems to be a slave so it's not like you've got or at least they never express it like some of the people are here because they're just bloodthirsty psychos who want to hurt people and be famous like everybody in there is a slave so, yeah, Tuvok being like, it's OK to kill. I know all the other times we've seen Starfleet say, like, I'll throw the phaser down and, and invite death on myself. But, yeah, it's OK if you kill the, whoever they put you in the cage with. What? It, I think it's cl I think it's closer to. Correct than maybe you think. Tuvok being a Vulcan. Stating the logical. Your options are kill or be killed. So these are your options. You can either die or be the one that is victorious, but, you know, take someone's life in the process. So you have Tupac. the choice of laying down and dying, which you can, or you can kill and preserve your life, which is probably correct. Um, this is know. an interesting setup for Tubak too, who's pretty useless throughout this entire thing. I mean, he gives the uh, it's okay to murder advice, but we see him one time with a panel off the wall, fucking around with the circuitry in there. And, and that's about it. I think this is probably the first time I have seen Starfleet 
completely helpless in a situation. Tuvok specifically, who always seems to figure out a way out of the trap, escape the the prison, outsmart the system. And this is the first time he's just, he is completely at the mercy of what is around him. And it's only through an act of an outside force that saves his ass uh, and prevents bad things from actually happening. He was passive, but I think like the episode wanting to focus on seven of mine made sense, you know, so he couldn't have to an act of a role. I just think that maybe his justification was missing another an extra line or two about the morality of the circumstance that they were in and maybe more leaving it up to seven of nine rather than kind of pushing her, you know, mm. maybe that was the, maybe that was the problem to say like, listen, you got to make this choice for yourself. I don't want you to kill on my behalf, but at the same time, you know, there's a, there's a deep logic to preserving yourself in these circumstances, but you know, it's also understandable if you choose not to proceed in that fashion and choose to, to allow your life to be ended instead, right? Like that would have upped the moral ambiguity and would have provided Semen with more agency with her choices as to what, what am I going to do here without Tuvok seeming like she's like, yeah, go ahead and kill that guy. It was Tuvok basically like fucking Palpatine, like, do it. Do it. Do it. Do it. <laughs> so. Time for a plot twist. Seven's death match is with the Herogen. <gasps> the Herogen, he's been in the game too long. 19 years is too much time in the arena, and he is looking for an honorable Teth at a worthy foe's hands. So train Seven of Nine to be that worthy foe. They start Kung Fu fighting. Chakotay and team have figured out that this is all being broadcast from a ship. They find the ship. The ship is like super stacked with ultra tech and like Voyager has no hope of actually destroying it in combat. But Chakotay's like, well, it's an episode about the underdog triumphing over the champion. And they start the fight and uh, they get bailed out by the fucking i don't know why this works but delta flyer showing up and like literally shooting its antennas off and forcing uh space mcmahon to like put more energy into the existing uh others still running broadcasting units so that they can then beam everyone off and then bounce like we don't see a lot of the space battle there is no discussion whatsoever of any fallout for anyone involved as we have mentioned we do know that they seem to be incapable of stopping them that it was really by sheer grit that they were able to even steal off seven of nine and Tuvok and ultimately the Herogen as well. There's isn't any acknowledgement that they couldn't really do anything about it, but it, the pieces are there. And then in the fight itself, seven of nine doesn't want to kill the Herogen. So she's kind of losing the fight. The Herogen really wants seven of nine to kill him. So she starts calling her weak and imperfect, which like activates her fucking like killer instinct. Her eyes like a and then she just starts whooping on him and uh, looks like she was at the decision point of, do I kill this guy or not? When they, everyone gets beeped off and the day is saved. If only a certain Battlestar Galactica creator, Ronald Moore had stuck around on Voyager with his perception of reality. What could have happened in this moment? I thought it was so fucking weak. Like right when she's forced to have to make the decision to kill him or not, they beam around. I mean, it's, it's classic softball star trek or whatever but like i would really like to see the consequences of uh kind of like the mist stephen king's a mist like <laughs> i just edited it out peter just attempted to spoil the mist for everybody <laughs> when you've got uh, stephen king giving you props for going hard like you did it right it is, um, it is definitely the ending that goes the hardest in movies so much so that I chastise Peter and cut out his spoiler. You should go all see the mist. Yes. Yeah, go, go see the mist. Did you watch the TV show for it? No, I only watched the movie. The I only had a lot that. of like TV people in it though. Yeah. Had a lot Thomas of like James fucking man. I love it. Anyways. Uh, so she's got her hands up. They beam them out. They're in the middle of a fucking space combat with like a super star destroyer. They have no chance against uh, yet for whatever reason, their crack pilot, Tom Paris is in the transporter room with a fucking phaser rifle. And it's just two box out of commission, I guess. So like he was the security guy for They're that. Flying around shooting up like this 
why is Tom's ass never in the pilot seat when he should be in the pilot? It it's, should have been smoldering catcher guy down there. Just oh. like, just, just holding like two phasers. <laughs> it is like two gunning it. It should have been smoldering. Catch- We're talking about Lieutenant Ayala. If you've never, it's been a while since we've called him out. Uh, the only competent member of the security team. God, how good it would have been if like really sell this cross promotion thing. Uh, have seven be about to kill right so she's down and then have the bad guy who's gonna kill her but then they beam him in and ayala busts that fool over the head with a folding chair (laughs) this was this was missing like a a a jr you know by god that man had a family moment as you know that that wasn't in this so that was that might have really done it how could we have incorporated a ladder match into this so something in engineering I mean, obviously, it's the it's where you do only the, your most dangerous things, as we have determined. Like, do it up in the loft, so like whoever gets knocked off the ladder falls in the Jonas Memorial Death Fire. Neelix <laughs> <laughs> is the ref; he just activates it at the right time. It's a retirement match permanently. Well, I'll tell you what, man. If anybody's gonna bust someone over the head with a chair, it's gonna be New Jack Neelix. So before we wrap the episode up entirely here if if you weren't of our our age i guess like the attitude era of the wwe was probably its peak right was yeah. that was its peak and it, so it may seem strange that like this was such a big deal like who cares about wrestling now right like it, it's definitely like not as culturally relevant i'm sure it has a big following still it absolutely does but it's not near at the level of cultural penetration that I think it was 20 years ago. This was news that the rock was going to be in this Voyager episode and, and WWE was coming back to over air TV. And it's, it's such a dated cultural moment because of that, like that something like that would be a big deal. And I got to say again, I mean, it is crazy to me to see The Rock's career where it is now, where he is a dedicated actor. And here he is in a TV show with like six lines of dialogue in in, in a 20 second clip or whatever. Like, I really thought he was going to be pivotal to what was happening in this episode. And it's just it's a fucking cameo and it's over. And and like you said, like he's presented as a tough dude but he's not really a bad guy but i figured it was going to be like a mountain that seven was going to have to climb or an obstacle they were going to have to beat and instead he just he's unbeatable he kicks the shit out of her and then he's gone never to be heard from again he he doesn't even really appear in movies for another couple years after this like the rock is just a wwe guy at this at this he's just the rock he's not even dwayne the rock johnson He's right. just the rock, right? So he doesn't evolve into Dwayne Johnson until many, many years after this. It's it's strange it's strange to reflect on this as essentially a corporate promo. This is the only time I feel like Trek has been used in the Berman era to further corporate goals for a network. There was an old TOS episode that was supposed to be a backdoor pilot for a show CBS wanted to do. But it, it fit a lot better with what uh, uh, rather than what this was. This was this was a creation of some of some suits telling and then the writers having to make it work. Right. Like, how the fuck do we do this? And the, the fact that they subversively turn the WWE Enterprise into the supervillains of the episode and that Vince McMahon is secretly an enslaving dickbag from his impenetrable fortress of doom. <laughs> like, I think there's a cleverness to that. I think that that was actually neat that they subverted the, the, the narrative in that way. Like, gee, it would have been great to see some production notes or behind the scene information on that. But uh, Memory Alpha is as anemic as ever on this one with really nothing fun to go off of i do appreciate that seven of nine when she does not have her sexy cat suit on her fucking implants look gross and they continue to look gross yeah they they carried that through into picard one of the few good things i'll say about that there is one more scene in the episode which is when uh two more uh we find out that the herogen 
they find a hunting party that's willing to take the erosion off their hands. And he kind of has that moment with seven to find of like, would you have killed me? And she's like, I don't know. And he's like, ah, yeah, I think you would have. And then she has the last scene with Tuvok in astrometrics where she's reflecting on like the, I feel pain and regret. I, you know, I, I almost killed somebody, you know, I've lost all of my humanity and Tuvok's like the very fact that you're struggling with what you've done morally and not like melting down and not like shutting yourself off from those things is actually a reflection of how human you've become. And you know, seven, what else is very human is not telling the captain that I was encouraging to murder people. (laughs) That would be very human. (laughs) So human of you. You know, one time I was human for Tom Paris when I didn't uh, get him in trouble for what, what was it? Paris did something bad. And Tuvok was like, I'm going to ratchet. Oh, making out with Bellana. Oh yeah, yes, in the murder loft. And if I could be human 7, you can still be human. Just remember s- snitches get stitches. You got to we all got to regenerate in our alcove sometime or another, right? <laughs> so that that's where the wraps again is a good 7 of 9 content here. I think the background of the existence of this episode is hilarious. I think the fact that Vince McMahon is the villain is is per is is subversive in a fun way i think the sheep production values of the actual wrestling is uh shall we say on on brand um and the fact that the rock is in this for for a minute he lays a a rock bottom down on jerry ryan (laughs) elbow yeah everything like i didn't believe it the eyebrow i i want to give a shout out to ethan phillips um i so much appreciate him as comedic relief i really enjoy the way he plays it off and the scenes they give him and just the ridiculous nature of neelix i don't know if neelix was it it seems much more intentional i think at some point early when neelix was annoying they were trying to make him into the serious character and now it just seems like the writers have fun with it and ethan phillips has fun turning the crap they give him into something worth watching. Um, and it's good Trek humor. I, I like it. And it contrasts nicely for when he actually gets to turn his serious acting on, right? Like he gets to be the comic relief. He does a good job like selling the comic relief, like his unsteadiness when he's got the sunburn, like he does the physical nature of it really well and all of that, like totally sold. I was a big fan last week in Memorial when he's a traumatized war victim, yes. literally shooting a phaser at fucking Tuvok, like, you know, looking out for VC in the trees. Like he does both sides super well. And yeah, like Ethan Phillips as an actor is very underrated. Uh, he synergizes think- so well with anybody else, especially the, the Picardo stuff. And again, like all of him ending up in the, uh, the medical, the sick bay in the early episodes was, were such grating uh, events. And now I, I really enjoy watching him play. So yeah, there's good stuff in here, but I think in the rush to give WWE what they wanted, there's some pretty deep sins they do to uh, character portrayals and Starfleet as a whole. And again, shame on Tuva or uh, Chakotay for not knowing about blood sport or death matches. So what are we watching next week? Peter? <sighs> Season six, episode 16 collective. And I see, Seven of nine, and there's a drone next to her. Several Borg children abduct Chakotay, Kim, Neelix, and Paris. Uh, I'm guessing this is where Isheb's going to come from. I mean, it, it's hard. It's hard for him to come from anywhere else. It's 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 interesting that we've reached this point, and you've kind of been spoiled on some things when it comes to Isheb and and the thanks future. Picard. Yeah, thanks thanks Picard. But the least actually, of Picard's crimes. I I would say that. As I as, upon reflecting upon Picard, um, the butchery of Picard himself as a character felt somehow less egregious to me than the butchery of Seven of Nine and Echeb, Echeb literally <laughs> in that show. Um, you know, at least it's a close contender. But yeah, this is this is the origin of Echeb and and um, some other some other characters that that actually show up here for a little while uh, as well. So it's interesting. I see episode 17 is more fair Haven. Yeah, bro. Um, I, I think, I think um, 
there's this collective better be good because i'm gonna have to i'm gonna have to real good episode to like really draw that breath in so i can hold it through you're gonna have to hold it for a couple because ashes to ashes is after that and that's not that's not good it looks good that looks like a cool concept and that might be one maybe you know maybe i'll uh think you know i won't even think about it until we are done podcasting next week how about that fair enough man and something else coming soon uh for our loyal listeners uh that support us on patreon thank you very much uh peter and i will be recording shortly on our thoughts regarding lower decks we decided we would review lower decks and uh so we're gonna we're gonna do a special patreon only podcast where we'll kind of take a look at the whole series rather than any specific episodes and and kind of uh this is kind of the most tolerable new trek thing that's been made i will i will grant it that well, the most tolerable new Trek thing currently made is the Orville, but uh, okay. I am legit. <laughs> I am legit excited to do this lower decks thing. You're on episode four right now, working through it. So I think you're about to see a real upswing in quality um, of, of those episodes and uh, their ability to hold interest. So um, big thanks to everybody out there who made the recommendation. We, do that as our next patreon content and i'm looking forward to it and i look forward to it as well and we'll see everyone next week 